All right, so the summer Bible study is in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you brought your Bibles tonight and want to turn to 1 Thessalonians, that's where we will be tonight. And that's where we will be for the rest of the summer Bible study, taking a chapter each week. And before we dive into 1 Thessalonians tonight, let's open up with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we do have once again to be here to study the Bible God, I just so appreciate the hearts of these folks who, Lord, just want to dig deeper into your word and learn more of your word. And and Lord, I know a lot of these folks, their desire is not just to learn more of the Bible, but to have the Bible become more a part of their life. That the reason they're here tonight is because they want to hear from you. They, They want something from you, Lord, that's going to encourage them, going to inspire them, going to refresh them, and going to instruct all of us, Lord, of how we can walk closer to you, how we can be a better Christian example, how we can live our Christian life at a higher level. And so, God, I just appreciate their heart tonight, and I just pray, Lord, that you would bless us as only you can do. God, would your Holy Spirit just be in complete control of this room and of this study tonight, And we just do pray, God, that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, would just get all the glory and honor for everything good and great that would come out of this night. And we ask all this in his name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me give you a little bit, since we have extra time in the summer, to just give you a quick background on the city of Thessaloniki, where the Thessalonians were from. Thessaloniki is in modern-day Greece. Thessaloniki is a key seaport city. It is a city that trade routes went north and south, east and west, and obviously being on the Aegean Sea next to the Mediterranean Sea and in that part of the world, I mean, even at that time, the world passed through Thessaloniki. So if God was going to do a work in Thessaloniki and and people were going to begin to get excited about God and what God was doing in their lives, the report of what God was going to do was going to go all over the world because of all the people from all over the world that would pass through the city of Thessaloniki. With that said, if I had to sort of give a title or a theme to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 tonight, it would be living the Christian life at high volume, all right? Living the Christian life at high volume. How do I pump up the Christian life? How do I live it at a higher, greater volume? And the reason I get that is, I'm going to go back and start at the beginning, but just to show you this, notice in verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says to the Thessalonians, Christians, for from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in God have spread so that we do not need to say anything. The phrase or the two words echoed forth are really strong words. In ancient literature, those same words were used to describe a loud clap of thunder. They were used to describe the roar of a crowd. They were used to describe loud musical instruments. And so Paul here is saying to the Thessalonians, 
You are living your life at high volume as a Christian. Other people are certainly being impacted and hearing about what God is doing in your life because you have turned up the volume, okay? So I guess as we come here tonight, as I studied 1 Thessalonians 1, what it shared with me was, how can I, as a Christian, live my life at a higher volume? If I'm here, how can I live my life maybe here? If I'm here, how can I live my life here? How can I begin to turn up the volume of my life so that maybe more people will see and hear and feel the impact of what God is doing in my life and it will be felt by others? So as we go down through this chapter tonight, I think all this stuff will go back to that. Living life at a high volume for Christ. So, back up to chapter 1, verse 1. The first thing I see is being part of a team. Notice the letter is from Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, and Timothy to the Thessalonians. And right away we come to realize that that Paul and Silas and Timothy were the founders of the church at Thessaloniki. These three men were now in Corinth. They were concerned about what was going on in Thessaloniki and the persecution and the opposition that these Christians were enduring. They were afraid and concerned about would these Christians be able to stand against such harsh opposition and persecution. And so that was why they were motivated to write this letter. It was out of a what's going on there, we want to stay in touch and out of concern, you know, Can we be an encouragement to you? Now, something else I want to point out, I I do this as I teach the letters in the New Testament. Remember that the letters in the New Testament take a different form than our letters or emails today. Somewhere along the line in history, we went from putting people's names of who wrote the letter from the beginning of the letter to the end of the letter. But back in these days, when someone would write an email or a letter or whatever, the name of the person that was writing it was right up top, not at the bottom. And many times that was because even their very name would be an encouragement. Like, oh my goodness, I got a letter from so-and-so, you know. Forget about even reading it yet. It was sometimes who it was from. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing this letter of concern and encouragement to the Christians in Thessaloniki. And the point I just want to make is that, again, God reminds us throughout the Bible that He does not want us nor intend for us to live life at a high volume by ourselves. In fact, I believe that's impossible. It's why God created the church. It's why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because God wanted His people to live in community with each other. Spiritual growth does not take place in a vacuum. And when we get the right kind of people in our lives, folks, we begin to rub up against each other and brush up against each other and hopefully bring out the best in each other and mutually encourage each other. And that's one of the things that can keep us living at high volume when we surround ourselves with those mutual encouragers, those right kind of friends. In fact, in less than two weeks now, on this stage right here on June 14th, I'm going to be speaking as part of the Proverbs series on alliances, on friendships, 
What kind of friends should I be looking for in my life? How do I find those kind of friends? Why do I keep choosing the wrong kind of friends? We're going to be talking about that on June the 14th. But tonight we see right here at the very beginning, Paul didn't do it alone. Silas didn't do it alone. Timothy didn't do it alone. They did it as a team, as a group. I would encourage you to begin to seek, to pray, to look for just a few individuals in your life that you can begin to pray with or meet with on a regular basis where you folks can come together and encourage each other. That's exactly what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are modeling here, even by the very letter that they're writing. They're saying to the Thessalonians, guys, we're not doing this alone. Don't you do it alone either. Find some people in your life that can always be that encouragement for you. Then notice, they are writing this to, verse 1, the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word church in the Greek language is the word ekklesia. It just simply means assembly. And there were all kinds of ekklesias in the world at that time. There were political ekklesias. There were sports ekklesias. There There are all kinds of... But the thing that separated this ecclesia, this assembly, was it was centered around God. That when this assembly and Thessaloniki got together, it was all about God. It was because they were in union with God. It was because they were going after God. It was because they were wrapped up, their lives, in God. And so it gave them an identity, which is something, again, that people are looking for today. They're looking for identity. They're looking to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. They're looking for a place to belong. And that, again, is so important if we're going to live life at a higher volume for Christ. That we become part of a church. It doesn't have to be Cornerstone, but I certainly encourage it to be a church that teaches the Word of God. But I just want you to be part of a church where God is being glorified and God is moving in people's lives and where people are learning the word of God and where you can, in a sense, say, that's where I belong. That's what they were reminding the Thessalonians about. You are not just any assembly in Thessaloniki. You are an assembly of people who are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends verse 1 by saying, and grace and peace be yours. Now, this certainly isn't an exhaustive list of Christian graces or blessings or benefits. But I do believe if you study the letters of Paul, that this is a a representation, I guess is the way I would say it. That when Paul says grace and peace to you, he's simply saying, and because you folks are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are in union with Him, therefore you have, you have the ability to tap into all the resources of God while you're trying to stand up to this opposition and persecution and, and navigate these hard times that you're going through. And that is so very important that we be reminded, again, if we're going to live life at a higher volume for Christ, That we don't try to live this high volume life on our own, but that we tap into the resources that are always available to us in Christ. God's grace that he points out here is God's continual enablement to be able to do his will. That's what God's grace is. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God I am what I am. 
Because Paul knew it wasn't just that I get saved by grace, but I live by God's grace. And God's grace is always available to me to be able to do whatever I need to do. So when Paul says grace and peace to you, I think he's just reminding them, Thessalonians, don't forget, if you want to live life at a higher volume, tap into those resources. Ask God for help. He will give you all the help, all the enablement, all the resources that you and I need. We never need to feel like God sent us out on a mission, gave us an assignment, gave us some kind of project, and then we look around and go, you didn't give me the tools I needed for this job. We never have to feel that way with God. The the Bible teaches every time God sends us out to do something, he will give us all the equipment, all the tools, all the resources that we need in order to accomplish what he's calling us to do and to do it well, to do it with excellence, to do it so that it will glorify him. Verse 2. Notice the next thing. I think living life at a higher volume means being a thankful person. The first thing that Paul talks about here as he begins to talk to the Thessalonians after this opening address is, we thank God always for all of you. Paul was thankful. Paul always found things to be thankful for. He always counted his blessings. He always tried to live in that moment of of saying that, you know, My life might not be exactly what I want and where I want it to be, but there are things in my life that I can always be thankful to God for. And as Paul thought about the Thessalonians and what work God had done in their lives, notice he just says, we thank God always for all of you as we mention you constantly in our prayers. Because as you're going to see as we go down through this book this summer, That God had done some amazing things in the church at Thessaloniki. And Paul was thankful for that as he looked around and went, wow God, you're working. And see, even here, there's not a day that goes by that if you're around Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, that there aren't stories and and testimonies and, and people's lives that you and I can say, God, thank you. Thank you for working in their life. Thank you for what, they're, what you're doing in their life. Thank you for what you're doing in my life, God. That maybe many of us could say, God, a year ago, here's where I was. And now, Lord, a year later, here's where I am. And God, it's all because of you. God, thank you for that. And so when you and I want to live life at a higher volume, we need to just pump up the thankfulness. Because there's something about a thankful Christian There's something about a Christian that can just go through life just filled with praise and thanksgiving and appreciation for God, for knowing God, for for zeroing in and focusing on the blessings of God. No, you know, we we can't always be thankful for everything, but as we're going to see over in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, we certainly as a Christian can be thankful in everything. And there's a difference. Come back in four weeks, we'll talk about it. You'll also notice in verse 2 something else that I think keeps our life at high volume. And that's finding people to pray with. Because notice that Paul says, we constantly thank God for you as we mention you in our prayers. And the implication is that Paul and Silas and Timothy would get together and pray with one another. 
It was a way for them to encourage each other. It was a way for them to remind each other about what God was doing in their lives and what God was doing in other people's lives. And so as they got together and prayed, they prayed for the Thessalonians. Nothing is more encouraging than knowing that there are people in our lives who are literally taking us by name and our life situations and our needs and whatever, and they are literally carrying us into the presence of God every day, and they are laying us there at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, take care of them, bless them, comfort them, give them that grace that you talk about, whatever. There is nothing that can encourage us more than knowing that people are praying for us on a regular basis. And Paul here in verse 2 and Silas and Timothy are reminding the Thessalonians that though we may not be with you physically, though we may not be able to see you eyeball to eyeball every day, we want you to know that we are lifting you up in prayer before God every day. So as you live this life and you seek to do it at a higher volume, Know that there is that prayer support that is undergirding your life and ministry there in Thessaloniki. And hopefully by modeling that for them, that the Thessalonians will pick up on that and go, you know what guys, we need to make prayer more of a priority with us as well. Because again, I guarantee you that one of the things that's going to keep our life as a Christian at a higher volume, at a higher pitch, is our prayer life. Our prayer life. Jesus is always encouraging his followers to pray rather than to give up. Notice he goes on in verse 3 and says, We thank God always for all of you because we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, here's what excites me. Here's what really gets me excited in the presence of God. Is that after we started the church in Thessalonica and then we had to leave, that man, the message of God took hold in your lives. And there is all kinds of fruit. There is all kinds of outward evidences coming out that that really, it was genuine. It was real. That this isn't some put on, that this wasn't a show, that you weren't doing this just to appease us or appease somebody else. What God was doing there was real. And the reason we know it, he says, is because first of all, we know that we are hearing about your work that is being motivated by faith. The Bible teaches that God is as as concerned about why we do things as what we do. And Paul is saying and reminding the Thessalonians and also reminding us that if you and I are truly going to work for God, I mean, if we're going to dedicate our lives to, and this word means strenuous effort, at times to the point of exhaustion, when was the last time as a Christian you and I served the Lord to the point of exhaustion? And Paul says, you guys in in Thessaloniki, you, you have it right. And you're, you're not afraid to work. And yet, notice, the reason why you are so committed to working for God is because of your faith. Your faith is fueling your work. You, if I truly don't believe what God says, if I don't buy into what the Bible teaches, 
if I really don't believe there is eternal reward for living a faithful life, if I really don't believe that there's a better day coming, if I really don't believe that this life is not all there is and all of that, if I really don't believe that, I'm not going to be too motivated to really work for God. I'm not going to be too motivated to lay up treasure in heaven rather than laying it up on earth if I really don't believe what God said. But the opposite of that is true. If I truly trust, put my confidence and belief in what God says, then I will always be working for God. And really, isn't it true that when it's that kind of motivation, it doesn't seem like work? It's like, God, you know, I, I get jazzed about this. I, I, get, I get energized by this. this. This doesn't even seem like work to me. Because we're doing it out of our faith and true belief in that what God says is really true. Notice he says really the same thing about their love. He says, and we've also heard about your labor of love. And the word labor and work are pretty similar. Again, working hard sometimes to the point of exhaustion. And Paul says, we've heard in Thessaloniki that you guys are laboring for each other and for others And it's because of your love for God and your love for other people. That's the motivation. It's not because of we're doing this because then we expect them to do something back to us. It's not because we're trying to get in good or we're trying to work our way up. So we're trying to build some strategic relationships. No, no. Paul says the reason you guys are laboring is because it's truly being motivated by love. Because let's face it, folks, when we don't have the proper motivation for anything in our life, we're not going to sustain it very long. The only way we have sustainability in our lives is when that motivation or fuel is coming from the right resource, or else it's just going to die a slow death and die on its own. And then I love this at the end of verse 3. He also says, and we've also heard about your endurance. Again, we're going to get to it in just a moment, and and this is just the beginning of this. But one of the things that Paul reminds us of is these Thessalonian Christians, it's hard for us probably to put ourselves in their place and truly be empathetic and try to place ourselves in their shoes. Because they were living in a culture of idolatry. And yet we're going to see here in a moment, they turned from all those idols to worship God. And they lost family relationships because of Christ. They lost friendships because of Christ. They lost their business because of Christ. They may have lost a lot because of Christ. And yet in the word endurance, it's a great word in the Bible. It's not just a word that means we're just hanging in there till the end. We're just hanging on, God. No, it's a word that really speaks about having a a, a confident facing of the future because of, notice, our hope. Our hope. It's an endurance, it's a perseverance based on our hope. And in the Bible, unlike the way we use the word hope in the English language, remember, it means confident expectation. That the reason I have hope is because I believe what God says. The reason I have hope is because I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope isn't in anything on earth. My hope isn't in anything temporal. My hope is, notice, verse 4, 
or verse 3, where's it at? It's in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the object of our hope, just like the object of our faith, is what's most important. That's why Jesus could say, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seed isn't big. But he said, if you have that kind of faith in the right object, you can do great things. We don't, it's not how much faith we've got. It's not how much hope we've got. It's where are we placing our faith and hope. And the Thessalonians, the reason they were able to live life on a high volume for God and echo forth the message of God around the world was because they had hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is so important today. You know, Pastor Lynn just got done this series on hard times and looking at the life of Joseph. And even for Christians, I think that when, when hard times come in our life, it really shows us where our hope and faith really is. Is our hope and faith really in God or is it in our jobs, our bank accounts, uh, our 401ks? Is that where our faith and hope is? In the, is it in the government? Is it in people trying to figure out our problems? Or are we placing our hope and faith squarely and only in the Lord? That's why they could live life at a high volume. Because their hope was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 4. We know brothers and sisters. Verse 4. I want to stop there. Because again, he's reminding them, here's one of the reasons why you're living life at a high volume. Because you're part of that family called the church. You may have lost brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, moms and dads when you became a Christian. That's what happened in Thessaloniki. Many of them, They had their family turn their backs on them when they became a Christian. And Paul is saying, you know, guys, that's one of the great, cool reasons why God created the church. Because whatever family relationships we've lost for the sake of Christ, hopefully we can maybe find some aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters and moms and dads in the church if we've lost them because of Christ outside the church. And he's reminding them in verse 4, You are brothers and sisters. You need to treat each other like you are part of the same family. That's one of the things that continues to encourage us throughout our days. And then notice, we know, brothers and sisters, that you are loved by God. One of the best things we can do every day as a Christian is just sit there for a minute and go, you know what? That's pretty cool. God loves me. God loves me. I mean, even as Christians, sometimes we either take it for granted or the whole familiarity breeds contempt that God loves me. God loves me. And He can love me no more than he ever has and he can never love me as God any less than he ever had his love is absolutely rock solid his love is unconditional you want to talk about being able to live life at high volume it's just continually reminding ourselves every day God loves me I I wonder how many days even as a Christian 
we go through an entire day without really contemplating what that means, even just for a few moments. Because I know in my life that the days that I remind myself of that, that no matter usually what happens, they're still good days. Because I remind myself that the God of the universe, a God that is so infinite that I will never be able to wrap my little brain around this big God, and yet I can at least connect with this God enough, or He can connect with me to reveal to me He loves me. And Paul wanted to remind the Thessalonians about that as well. Never forget, folks, here tonight, you who've come here Tuesday, June 2nd, that God loves you. And when you go to bed tonight, remember, God loves you. And when you wake up tomorrow, remember, God loves you. Not only are they loved by God, notice he goes on to say, and by the way, he's chosen you. Now this term really throws people. They get into all kinds of debates on election, predestination, and choice. Tonight's message isn't about that. But I do want to point out something. You'll notice in the context, because many times we take things out of context in the Bible to build our little arguments, that in the context here of 1 Thessalonians 1, those who God chose, He loved. And those He loved, He chose. Now my Bible over in John 3.16 tells me God so loved who? The world. I think that's everybody. Because it's the Greek word cosmos doesn't leave out anybody God loves everybody so if God loves everybody and his choice is based on his love or his love on his choice and they're inseparable then I believe that what Paul is reminding us of is that God chose us too didn't just choose some of us chose all of us and simply what that means from my perspective and study is that God reached out to us before we ever reached out to Him. It was God who initiated the relationship with us. As John said in 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He first loved us. And I believe God reaches out to every individual trying to draw them to Him. Not every individual will come. Because God gives human beings a free choice. But I believe he reaches out and chooses. And the cool thing, when I think of the word choice, I know, I'm weird, I understand that. But when I think of the word being chosen, my little brain goes back to Cumberland, Maryland when I was in elementary school. And I was this dumpy, awkward kid. And we would go out onto the playground in elementary school. And I dreaded going out there at lunchtime and stuff on the playground because it was always about choosing teams. No, I'm not still bitter about this after 40 years. No, I'm not. And they would line us all up on the fence and would always be the two coolest guys or the two coolest girls that would get to come out and choose who they wanted on their team. I can just tell you, I usually just walk to the side 
I knew I'd be one of the last ones chosen because nobody would want awkward Jeff on their team, especially if it was something with athletics. Of course, that was before I got into high school and weighed 315 pounds and played tackle on the football team. That's another story. But it always made me feel bad. Even as a young person, you know, you get like, nobody wants me. Nobody wants to choose me. Nobody wants me on, my, on that team. I'm not good enough to be on that team. I'm not this to be on that team. When I see the word chosen, it reminds me, God wanted me on his team. God wanted me on his team. Maybe humans didn't want me on their team. Maybe humans reject me. Maybe humans won't accept me, but God wants me on his team. He'll pick you. He wants you to know that he wants you to be there with him. And that's exactly what Paul's reminding the Thessalonians of. And when we remind ourselves of these truths, we can begin to live the Christian life at a higher volume. How can I live the Christian life at a high volume trying to resonate that God loves you and God values you and God cares about you if I don't even believe God loves and cares about me? I've got to buy into it. I've got to embrace it. I've got to truly believe it. And when I believe it, then I can communicate it either by word or by deed or just by the way I walk through life and the way I carry myself to others. But if I really don't believe God loves me, if I really don't believe he cares about me, then I cannot live at a high volume that's going to penetrate and draw other people to him as well. That's why sometimes the most effective thing we can do is to ground ourselves in the word of God and in the love of God and remind us of these things that we know, but sometimes we forget or we so easily just pass off in our life. And Paul didn't want that to happen to the Thessalonians, especially at such a critical time in their history. Notice in verse 5, in that our gospel did not come to you merely in words, but in power. You see, Paul says, here's how we know God was in it. Because when you receive the word of God, change began to happen. Your life began to change. You you were being transformed by the word of God. And that's what happens. God isn't about talk. God is about power. 1 Corinthians 4.19, Paul says, The kingdom of God is not about idle talk. It's about power. And where God is, there will be power. There will be lives changing. There will be lives transformed. Broken lives will begin to be put back together. Broken people will begin to be put back together. People will be forgiven. People will be accepting God's grace. People will be getting back up off the mat and moving on with their life. Even if they've been knocked out, they're going to get back up by God's power. Many of us in this room, the reason we're here tonight is not because of anything we've done. But because when we heard the word of God, we accepted it and we received it and the power of God began to work in our lives. And the reason we are where we are is not because of some inner resolve or some kind of strength or pulling ourselves up by our own bootstrap philosophy of life. It was because the power of God was unleashed in our lives. 
And when God's power is unleashed in the life of a church and in the life of a group and in the life of an individual, the volume will begin to go up and people will begin to hear God's moving and he's doing something in those lives. Notice he goes on to say that this power was really being produced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there. You can walk into a church, you can walk into a home, you, you can meet people and you can know, is the Spirit there or not? You, you can just know it. Because where the Spirit's there, there will be evidence, there will be fruit. That's why later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it's verse 19, Paul says to the Thessalonians, don't ever quench or extinguish the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God do what He wants to do. Don't put Him out. One of the emblems of of the Spirit in the Bible is a fire. And and Paul's simply saying, don't douse water on the Spirit. When the Spirit is working, let the Spirit work. Don't quench the Spirit. I mean, we even do this in church. We've seen it for years. I mean, I see people who are either under the conviction of the Holy Spirit or they're being moved by the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit's leading them to make a decision or a choice or maybe come up front and pray with somebody or, or leave this place and, and make some kind of life-changing decision. And between the time that they're wrestling with that and the time they leave, they've shut it off. They've taken some cold water and said, no, nah, I'm sorry. I mean, they get, they get right up to that point where the, the fire of the Holy Spirit's working and where things are beginning to happen and all of a sudden the sprinkler system comes on and the fire goes out. And Paul says one of the reasons why you're able to live at such a high volume level is because you're just letting the Holy Spirit take over. And then notice, in with deep conviction. And I think what this means is not the conviction of necessarily sin or conviction by the I think the deep conviction is a positive thing it's that they became convinced that what they were hearing was the truth they were embracing it they were receiving it you see these words welcomed and received throughout this first chapter and and in a sense Paul's Silas and Timothy's convictions about God and the Bible became the Thessalonians deep conviction You and I want to live life at a higher volume for Christ. One of the places it starts is our convictions. Do we have convictions? How deep do they go? Do we believe that God will never leave us or forsake us no matter what's going on in our life? Even though right now it may look like God has turned his back on us. If we with deep conviction, truly by faith and hope, believe what God says, then our convictions will run so deep. Our roots will sink so deep into God himself and into his word that no matter what happens, nothing can shake us because of those deep convictions. And you run into Christians who have deep convictions that God loves them. Deep convictions that God is coming. Deep convictions in hope. Deep convictions in grace and peace. Deep convictions in all of these truths. And you will see a Christian who's living life at a high volume for Christ. And then verse 6. Wow. Didn't think I could talk till 8 o'clock. Yeah, Jeff, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In the ancient world, heroes were big. Not so much anymore. 
Maybe because we don't maybe have a lot of heroes. But in the ancient world, in this time, heroes were big. In fact, in order to morally educate young people, children, and even adults, they would put, here's your example. here's Here's the one you are to imitate. Here's the one you are to follow. And one of the things that can help us live life at a higher volume for God is when we have those great, godly, positive examples that we can follow. Yes, we need to follow the Lord. He's ultimately the example. But God understands that we need some flesh and blood examples around us as well. And it's one of the reasons why the Thessalonians could live at such a high volume was because they had some good examples in their life. Again, going back, they had the right people in their life. The right people that they could look to. That that's what a committed Christian looks like. And they were able to follow them and imitate them. Notice he goes on to say, when you received the message... Going back to that whole concept of they were very receptive, they were very open, they were very welcoming of the message of God and what God wanted to do in their lives. That's where it starts as well. Teachability. Am I teachable? Do I have such a hard heart that when God speaks to me, it doesn't penetrate? That's why Jesus took a lot of time speaking in the parables about, you know, the seed and the soil and, and, and bouncing off and not penetrating because it happens all the time. We've got to have a sensitive, open heart to the Word of God and always be willing to receive it and welcome it. And then I love this. With joy, verse 6, that comes from the Holy Spirit despite great affliction. You and I pump up the volume of our lives whenever we go through hard times. And yet because we are not quenching the Holy Spirit, And yet we are allowing the Holy Spirit to produce things like joy in our lives, even when things are going bad, that's high volume. Because people will look at us like we're weird, crazy, whatever, going, dude, how can you be going through what you're going through and still have joy? Because notice, the joy of the Christian isn't produced by my circumstances. The joy or any fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, is a product of the Holy Spirit of God. As I yield to the Holy Spirit, as I do not quench the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will produce joy in my life regardless of what circumstances I'm going through. That's one of the reasons why the Thessalonians were living life at such a high volume. Because they weren't allowing their circumstances to dictate their joy, the attitude with which they approached life. They were yielding to the Holy Spirit. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to take control of their lives. And so the Holy Spirit was producing joy even though they were being persecuted, even though they were losing relationships, even though they were facing hostility at every turn. They were filled with joy. You and I can do the same thing. It's possible. It's possible. To go through the toughest days of our life and yet as a Christian allow the Holy Spirit to do a supernatural work in our lives and allow him to take us places where we could never go ourselves. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. As a result then, verse 7, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
See, because they allowed God to work in their life and because they were willing to follow godly examples like Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it got to the point where then God turned it around and then they became examples for other people to imitate. All of us are becoming something. All of us every day are becoming something. We never live static lives. Notice verse 6. You became imitators. Verse 7. You became an example. Whatever God is doing in our lives right now, folks, let's remember something. God wants to increase the volume of our lives so that he can use our lives to touch more lives. That's why he calls us to be salt and light in the world in which we live. To hold out the word of life in our society and to our generation, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And one of the ways that we do that is by following, by being good followers. The word leader is never really used in the Bible. A leader is a good follower. If I can't follow, then I will never be an example that God will set before others because before I can be an example to others, I've got to be willing to follow first. Which is exactly what the Thessalonians did. But once they were willing to follow... Then they became an example as they allowed God just to flow his life through theirs. And they became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The word example is a great word. It speaks about someone making an impression that is lasting and positive. Someone who makes an impression on our lives that is positive, that is lasting. I mean, you just remember that, I remember that gal, I remember that guy, never forget him. They touched my life, I will always be better for it. That's what the word example means. And he wasn't talking about just some small area. If you look on a map of ancient times a couple thousand years ago, Macedonia and Achaia would have been the size of probably the four states that make up the four corners. Take Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, and those four states and the square feet of those four states or the square miles of those four states would make up the area of Macedonia and Achaia in the ancient world. Pretty big, pretty big outreach. Pretty, pretty big impression. That's why then Paul went on in verse 8 to say, For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth like a loud clap of thunder. Like the roar of a noisy throng, like a loud musical instrument, you have echoed forth, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in God have spread. See, I believe that when a person is truly living for God, I'm using an old expression, okay? I realize this expression's old, so I'm dating myself, but... When you and I are truly living for God, we don't need to toot our own horn. We don't need to go around trying to convince people how spiritual we are. We don't need to try to tell people how, you know, you know I'm pretty godly, right? You, you're right. No. I just need to focus on living for the Lord. And if I'm truly living the Lord at high volume, guess what? Other people will talk. Other people will say, yeah, have you seen what their life's like? Do you know what they used to what they used to be involved in, what they used to be? Do you know what kind of attitude they used to bring to work every day? 
man, they, something's changed. They're different. You don't need, and I don't need, to go out there when we do live life at high volume, meaning we go out there in pride and wah, wah, wah me. No. I just need to live my life for God and let God take what he's doing in my life and the impression that it is making in a lasting and positive way on people that I'm rubbing up against, and they'll do all the talking. They'll, they'll give report. They'll talk about you. They'll say, man, something's changed. Something's different about that individual. And the report is going out about, notice how your faith in God has taken shape. Again, going back to hope in Christ, faith in God. It's the object that's most important. Their faith at this point had to be in God. Or else there was no way they were going to live life at high volume. Because again, if you look at the circumstances of their life, they, were going, they, would, they would be like this argument. God, ever since we gave our life to Christ, our life has been a living hell. We've lost family. We've lost friends. We've been beat up. We've suffered financially. I mean, God, you know, if they didn't have faith in God and in what God said... They would have long since said, that's it, I'm done with this Christian thing. I'm going back to the way things used to be. Because it was a lot easier for me when I wasn't a Christian than when I was. Because they truly suffered for being a Christian in the city of Thessaloniki 2,000 years ago. Just like many believers today around the world are suffering in many other parts of the world because of their faith. In Christ. And if they don't have their faith in God, they will abandon their faith. And they will turn their backs on Christ if they don't have their faith in God. And notice he goes on to say, verse 8, so that we don't need to say anything. Not that they didn't need to say anything. He was glad to honor and acknowledge what was happening in their lives. That's not what he means by that. Paul was the kind of guy, I think it's Romans 15 20 where Paul says I only want to plant churches and preach the word of God in what Paul called virgin territory where no one had been before where the gospel had never went Paul didn't want to build he says in Romans 15 20 on anyone else's foundation so what Paul is simply saying is guys you have done such an effective job at getting the gospel out to Macedonia and Achaia We don't need to worry about going into those regions because you've done a great job of sending the message of Christ to all those people in that region. We'll go somewhere else. We'll go somewhere else. Verse 9, for people everywhere, again, notice the word report, how you welcomed us and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Here's where the rub was, folks. Here's where the rub was. Thessaloniki was a center of idolatry. So so think about this. They were idol worshipers all their lives. They now hear the message of Christ, the living and true God. They now turn to God. And because they turn to God, they turn away from all of their idols. A couple things. First of all, They didn't believe in any syncretism. 
They didn't believe in just adding Jesus to the pantheon of gods that they already have, like a lot of people do today. Oh, yeah, I like Jesus. I'll just add him to all my other stuff. And ma-. No, when people truly understand the Jesus of the Bible and the message of the Bible, they realize that many times their faith in Jesus is mutually exclusive from some of these other things. And they've either got to embrace Jesus or they're going to embrace their idols. But they can't do both. And that's one of the things that Thessalonians realized and why their life was at such high volume. They weren't trying to live in both worlds. They realized that Jesus Christ was the only and true God and because of that, they turned to God and turned away from everything else. That made them highly effective. They got rid of all their idols. Now think about it. All the people who made idols and made a living off of idols in the city of Thessaloniki hated the Christians. Because they were dipping into their, you know, their business. And they weren't getting uh, as much business as they used to because people now were leaving these dead idols and they were turning to the true God. And then you think about their family members and friends that were still believing that these idols were gods. And they weren't willing to embrace Christ. Guess what? They lost all those relationships too. When they turned to God and turned away from all those other idols. I think sometimes we have to re-examine our lives and say, have we truly turned to God? Because I think when a person truly turns their focus and life to God, that means saying goodbye to some other things. That means letting go of some other things, good and bad, when we turn to God. That's one of the reasons why the Thessalonians could live at such a high volume. Because when they turned to God, it meant they turned away from their other idols. I love the contrast here too. At the end of verse 9, he reminds them, like they didn't really need to be reminded, to serve the living in contrast to these dead idols and true God in contrast to these false gods that were being made in the city of Thessaloniki. And then I love this, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. Wait is not a passive term. Wait is not, okay, in order to be a Christian and live life at a high volume, I'm going to go out, assume the lotus position, and just hover under a tree and go, "Mm, I'm waiting, God, on you to come. No. No. Wait in the Bible is a very active term. Let's compare it to the way we use it in our food industry. You and I go out to eat at a restaurant, and we have a waitress or a waiter. If they never do anything for us, they're not going to get a big tip. A good waiter or waitress is very active, you see. So when the Bible talks about waiting on the Lord... Or waiting for his son from heaven, we already know. Man, these people were loving in their labor. They were working by their faith. They were enduring in their hope. They were working to the point of exhaustion. They were far from passive and inactive. When God grips a person's heart, man, we get active. We get moving. We get doing something. We just don't, we just can't stand still. We just can't be stagnant when our life begins to pump up the volume. And that was exactly true of the Thessalonians. But here's why they could endure the things that they were enduring. Because they were waiting for the Son of God from heaven 
because they were waiting, active, but also realizing, my Jesus is coming one day. And he's going to come, and he's going to reverse all this, and those of us that have died and suffered for the cause of Christ, all this is going to be reversed one day. It's not always going to be like this. Jesus is coming from heaven someday. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven after appearing for 40 days after his resurrection. His disciples sit there dumbfounded going, look at that. And the Bible says two men appear in white apparel. And they basically say to the disciples, disciples, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who you saw go up into heaven is going to come down from heaven one day and get us all and take us to heaven. And the Thessalonians lived with that hope every day. They knew that Jesus could come at any day, any time, and they were waiting for the Son to come back from heaven. No, He didn't come in their lifetime. But that didn't mean that the hope and the confidence that they had that He was coming one day and that things were going to be different didn't constantly motivate them to live life at a higher volume. That things are going to be different one day. That the kingdoms of this world are one day going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever as King of kings and Lord of lords. And you and I, if we're going to live life at a high volume, need to live life every day waiting for the Son of God to come from heaven to receive us unto Himself. That where He is, there we may be with Him forever and ever. Amen. Paul also said, not only are you waiting for the sun from heaven, but let's remember the central doctrine of our faith, and that is the resurrection of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Because that's really what separates it, folks. I never get into debates with people about my faith unless I bring them back to the resurrection. The only question I ask somebody who is left unconvinced about Jesus Christ is this. Prove to me that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead and I'll forsake my faith. Because the burden of proof is on you. I can give you ten evidences off the top of my head of why Jesus Christ historically rose from the dead. If you can't tell me why Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then what's keeping you from accepting Christ as as your Savior? Because if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that means he is the Son of God. That means it verified and confirmed everything that the Bible says, everything that Jesus says is true if he rose from the dead. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, then we are of all people most miserable. We have no hope and we will go into the ground and die and that's it. But if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, folks, then we have resurrection life awaiting us. We have eternal life awaiting us and death and hell and nothing else on this earth. No weapon formed against us can stand. Jesus Christ has conquered death. He is the living Son of God and His resurrection is true. And because He lives, Jesus said, you will live also one day with Him eternally. And then Paul reminds them finally at the end of chapter 1, Jesus Christ is our deliverer. And specifically in this context, our deliverer from the coming wrath. And I believe he's simply talking about this biblical time that the Bible calls the seven-year tribulation that is coming on this earth one day. 
And the Bible, I believe, promises us here and other places that for you and I who know Jesus Christ, we're going to be delivered before that time ever comes on this earth. See, I tell Christians all the time who are so uptight about the Antichrist and the identity of the Antichrist and the tribulation, I said, listen, I can show you, I think, very clearly from the Bible that if you're a Christian, you won't be here during the tribulation period. You and I will be in heaven with Jesus when all this is going on. And Paul begins to hint at that because as we move through the book of 1 Thessalonians, this is one of the things he's going to basically make very clear to these folks so that they can be encouraged. Because part of the rub here was they were beginning to say, are are we living in a tribulation? That's how bad things were for them in Thessaloniki. That when they wrote Paul, they were like, Paul, have we done something wrong? Have we missed the coming of Christ? Are we living in the tribulation? Is God punishing us? And one of the things Paul wanted to do in this letter was to encourage them and say, Oh, folks, you have far from missed the coming of God. You're not going to miss the coming of Jesus. In fact, when he comes, he's going to deliver all his children from that coming terrible day on this earth called the great tribulation. I hope that will comfort your hearts tonight. Folks, God wants us to live our lives at a high volume. He wants us to live in such a way, as it says here in 1 Thessalonians, that our life, like the Thessalonians, echoes forth. It's that clap of thunder. It's that loud noise of a throng. It's that loud musical instrument that God can use to begin to send shock waves and, and, and light and, and the message of God to other people. And God wants us to live in that way too. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I believe, gives us a lot of ways that we can live that life at such a high volume. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this chapter. Thank you for this book. Thank you for these, these people. God, thank you for the founders of the church. But Lord, thank you. For these people in Thessalonica, people that I believe one day, Lord, we're going to run into in heaven. We're going to be in heaven one day and we're going to be able to say, hey, we, we studied you guys in the Mind Summer Bible study one year. We, we talked about you guys. You, you, you folks encouraged me to go out and live my life at a higher volume even though you hadn't been around for a couple thousand years. You were such an example not only in your lifetime, but to me as well. So Lord, excite us this summer. Help this summer not to be a summer that we, we slack off spiritually. But help especially those of us here in the mind to raise the volume of our Christian life and walk with you this summer. Help us, Lord, to allow you to get a hold of our lives and to not extinguish the Spirit and to live by your power and to live by your resources and to see our life, Lord, just begin to to be lived at a little bit higher volume, God. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. Thank you for being here. See you next Tuesday.